panic raised up from under my hood and he shook his head and said, this ain't good. Timing belts done shrunk one size too small. Those spark plug wires are a little too long and your main product spawner's nearly gone. Your injector ports are stripped and that ain't all. Torque converters running low on torque and that water pump's nearly down a quart. We caught it all in time, so you're in luck. He said, I've got the time and I've got the parts. Just give me the word and I'm ready to start. I think we can bring her in for 800 bucks. And welcome to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in tonight for Jay Zimbauer. And uh, good news, Jay should be back next week. He's had a good vacation, and he's probably looking forward to getting back here and being on the radio. But for tonight, as I've said the past couple of weeks, this show will be about lubrication and filtration and fuel additives and those types of things because I am a certified lubrication specialist, not an ASE certified mechanic. So, my number here, and please pick up your phone, give a call, ask those questions at have always bugged you about what kind of oil you should use or what's the right oil or what's the difference between synthetics and petroleums and, hey, isn't all oil the same? And, you know, those kind of questions. So the number is 407-674-1025 or toll-free 855-545-1025. And we'll certainly get into those questions. We had some good questions last week, and one of the things that I want to talk about here in this first segment tonight is oil filters. Because last week I had a question or two on that, and I told you that I'd go do a little bit of uh, research and bring myself back up to speed on that so I could give you the best information. And when I looked at that, one of the things that I determined was that the best thing I can do for you, the consumer, is to give you some idea of what to look for and what not to look for and not necessarily get into a name-brand discussion of whose filter's bad, whose filter's good, because everybody could argue about that. But we should be able to come up with some criteria that you can know and understand of how to evaluate filters. Are they good or are they bad? And I will tell you, they go the full spectrum out there from really just you might as well have left the filter off, it's that bad, all the way up to really fine filtration. And again, as always, you will probably get what you pay for. If you find a filter for 2 bucks, then you're getting 2 bucks worth of filtration, and it's probably not very much. If you find a filter for 10 bucks or so, it's probably a pretty good filter because you can't make these things out of trash and sell them uh and and really for nothing that's what it turns out sometimes you're getting you're paying nothing and you're getting nothing so you have to be careful about that now you're going to hear people tell you that they got a filter which is a 5 micron filter or they got a filter that is a 10 micron filter whatever they say with that statement and if you hear that statement what you should realize is Either the person that is representing the filter manufacturer is somewhat uh, ignorant of filters or else they really know what they're talking about and they're hoodwinking you, one or the other. Because 
to tell you that I have a, a filter that's a 5-micron or a 10-micron rated filter doesn't tell you anything because in the world of filters, because I tell you that it will capture a 10-micron particle, that in no way means that it will not somewhere else pass a 100-micron particle, okay? It just means nothing. It means that this media will catch some 5-micron uh, particles, but how many will it catch? Uh, can it filter them all? Or how efficient is it? What does it do? Those are the questions we get down to of what's important. So you will hear statements said the nominal rating on this filter is that it is a 20-micron filter. Well, again, when you hear the word nominal, it really doesn't mean anything. It just means this filter is capable of capturing a 20-micron particle. But how many and how efficiently and how many can it store and those kind of things, nothing has been said. So you could line up 10 filters and say they're all nominal 20-micron rated. That would tell you that you now have useless information about all 10, and you can't make any comparison between the 10. So what do we have to look for to actually know if a filter is any good? Well, number one, we are concerned about the micron-sized particles that it will capture. But we need to know if I start out, for example, with 100 uh, 20 micron particles coming into the filter, how many 20 micron particles will leave the filter? Now, that would be an efficiency. For example, if 100 were coming in and one went out, we'd say, wow, that's uh, that's pretty good. It's not absolute, but that's pretty good, right? Now, the industry has developed some things called beta ratios. Sounds pretty pretty complicated, right? Well, it's not. It's just what I said. 100 coming in, one goes out. They give it a ratio. A beta ratio, if you had 100 coming in and one going out, would be in the neighborhood of about 99.5% efficient. That's how they would rate it. They have a way of turning that into an efficiency rating. But that's what you have to look at at filters. How efficient is the filter? How many particles does it remove? And now, you can get caught up in another thing because sometimes filter manufacturers will give you, my filter has a beta ratio of 200, and it is 99.5% efficient. What they don't tell you is they did what's called a single-pass test. They put uh, maybe a gallon of uh, oil in this tank. They pumped it through the filter one gallon into the other tank. That's called a single-pass test. Totally useless. doesn't mean anything because that's not how it works in your car. These filters will go in, and they will have hundreds and hundreds of gallons of oil pumped through that filter. So there's another test, which is called a multi-pass test. So if a multi-pass test is done according to the ASTM standard and it results in a beta ratio, which can be converted to an efficiency percentage, now we have something to work with. So if, and I'm going to tell you this flat up, if you can find a filter company and go on the uh, Internet and find a multi-pass test and a beta ratio or efficiency number posted, now you've got a reputable company because they're making a good filter and they want you to know it and they're giving you that information. There's a lot of filters. You can't find that anywhere because they don't want you to know that if they posted anything, it was a single-pass test, 
and they're trying to tell you how efficient this filter is, and they give you nominal micron ratings and stuff, which is just blowing smoke. So you have to find the real efficiency or beta ratio, and you can find that for good filters in their technical sheets that you can find posted online, and that's what you should go look for. And I would tell you that you're going to find that the best ones out there are going to run uh, above 90% efficiency, and they're going to run at around the 20 micron level because that's what the current best filter medium can do. Now, are, can you filter better? Yes, you can. In fact, there are filters that will filter down to 2.5 microns at an absolute efficiency greater than 98.7. But here's the problem. You have an operating automotive engine. Oil pumps today put out up to 9 gallons per minute of oil flow when you're running along down the road at 75, 80 miles an hour. That oil pump's just scooting that oil through the engine like it's supposed to. We have thin oil being pumped at a high rate through the engine. That's the philosophy we're using, the theory of operation. Now, the problem with getting a filter that can get better than the 20 micron greater than 90% efficiency type ratings is that it'll begin to restrict flow. So we're battling here with how can I get the flow I need and get the maximum filtration with good flow rates. And that's what the filter manufacturers have to work with. So we'll get into this a little bit more and talk a little bit about how you can uh, also judge some other aspects of filters when we come back from the break. And we'll complete that up. But, hey, pick up the phone and give me a call at 407-674-1025. Welcome back to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in tonight for Jay Zimbauer. First segment, talking about oil filter. Just a quick review. You need to pick oil filters that you can get the actual beta rating, which is many times converted for you to a percent efficiency rating to tell you how well that filter actually removes particles. Now, the size of those particles, there's a thing called an absolute rating, which is something that's used by filter companies to say, well, this filter will capture any particle greater than such and such a size. Now, that's a reasonable um, number to know. So it means that filter is designed to catch 20 micron filters. Now, you still need to know the efficiency because if it catches one out of 100, that's not very good. But if it catches all but one out of 100, then that's pretty good. Okay, so that's what you have to know when you look up about filters. Now, also... You need to know if a filter, how long it's rated for. In other words, the storage capacity that it's rated under normal conditions. Is that filter designed to be changed every 5,000 miles? Is it designed to be changed every 4,000 miles? Well, what about if it's a 10,000-mile rated filter? You won't find many that will go past that. Now, there are a line of filters from... Uh, Amsoil synthetics that are 15,000 or 25,000 mile filters. There's also uh, some Mobile One filters that are designed for 15,000 miles. 
So you can find some filters with longer life, but that is a factor you need to put into your equation because if you're going to run some of the synthetic oils that have longer drain intervals, then you need to match that oil up with filters that are designed to go for longer drain intervals. That means that filter will continue to operate at high efficiency throughout its life rather than filling up with particulate and then not doing any more filtering. And that's not what you want. Now, other things about filters that are good for you to evaluate, and that is, how's that filter constructed? Because you can go into any parts store, you can pick up a filter, and sometimes the canning can be so thin that you can compress it with your fingers. That's not good, because what that means is every time the oil pressure comes into it and turns off, that filter actually flexes. And if it flexes enough, many times it can create a leak, okay? So you want to have a filter that's got a good burst pressure. You can find that also in their technical sheets when you go online. But I think your filter should be good for at least 125 PSI. Maybe 150 would be better, but at least 125. You'll find some of these filters that are rated at about 75 PSI. And sometimes on a cold morning in a car starting up, you can reach 80 pounds of oil pressure. So you got to be careful that the oil pressure is not going to exceed the, the canning and its burst pressure, okay? The filter medium, that's really going to be reflected in the efficiency, but today you really need to see where they're talking about a synthetic microglass. That is the best that you can get in high flow rate filters that we're talking about here. So you're looking for a synthetic microglass. And then... A lot of these filters are, have an orientation on the engine where they could drain back and be empty so that when you start your car up, you've got to fill the filter up before you get any oil flow to your camshaft and lifters. You really don't want that. So you want a filter that will hold the oil within the filter, and they have what they call anti-drain back valves. Those are important, and sometimes the material they're made out of is kind of important. So you'll find that on the tech sheets also. But if if you find a filter and it doesn't even stipulate about its anti-drain back uh, performance or it just says it uses a rubber anti-drain valve, that's not going to work very well. So you're going to look for something with a little bit more pizzazz than that. Then all these filters have to be designed with an ability to have what they call an internal bypass. Here's why. Let's say that filter, for some reason, you've got some burst of sludge in the engine, and you really fill that filter up. You can't have that filter stop your oil flow. <laughs> if it stops your oil flow, your engine's going to be the next thing to go. So when there's a large enough difference in pressure across that filter, it should be designed with a internal bypass valve that opens and allows the oil flow to flow through the filter and continue to supply oil to the engine. Those are in any decent filter quality filter will have an internal bypass valve. The adjustment of that bypass is dependent upon the size of the filter, the flow rate, and the anticipated oil pressure surges that you could have in the engine. Those are designed in by the designer, but you should find an internal relief valve. And then probably the last part that everybody knows best that's ever changed a filter is you got to have a good gasket on some of these filters, it's an O-ring, sometimes it's a D-ring, and sometimes it's a gasket. So whichever one is made there, 
It should be made out of a high-quality gasket material or rubber that will engage and not leak. And sometimes what you find with these filters is that when you put them on, they're cold, and the engine's cold, and you get them what you think is tight. Then when you start up the engine and it gets hot, they start to drip. And the reason for that is is that once everything gets hot, that threaded piece of pipe, that little threaded nipple that that thing screws onto, the problem there is is that that's going to elongate when it gets hot. It's going to take some of that clamp off of that O-ring or D-ring. And then some of the sort of abnormally hard uh, gasket materials, you may have to actually retighten it when it's hot to get it to stop leaking. Okay, so that's oil filters. They are very important to your car. Um, you can run the best oil that's made and run the worst filter, and you only made it halfway home because the amount of um particulate that can build up in your oil can make your oil actually slightly abrasive and you can begin to wear especially on the ring cylinder interface and you start to wear that and eventually you'll begin to lose compression so running dirty oil will eventually result in low compression poor runnability and i'm telling you for people that have abuse their engines in this way either one way or the other, you'll find that a lot of times that engine's losing compression by the time it's got 100,000 miles on it. And uh, that's really a sad thing because these modern engines taken care of correctly will run for 350,000 miles if they'll run a day. But you have to properly lubricate them and take care of them. And these things are very, very well made. And the, the metallurgy in them is good. You just have to treat them well, okay? So I promised last week to talk about oil filters. Now we've talked about oil filters. So if you have a question on those, 407-674-1025. Now we're going to bring Jay in for a little uh, cyberspace talk because it's a recording from his previous show, and we're going to do that in the third segment. And I think he's going to be talking some about spark plugs and uh, other items. And then after Jay does his uh cameo appearance uh then i'll be back and finish up in the fourth segment now we could get a phone call or something like that and that would alter our schedule plan but uh we'll have to see how it goes i think we're going to break for a couple messages now and then we'll come back and we'll get into that segment and welcome back to car time radio Got uh, Jeff hanging on the phones. We're going to do that before we uh, bring Mr. Zimbauer back in from cyberspace. So, Jeff, uh, welcome to the show. What can we do for you? Thank you, thank you. Hey, enjoy the show every time you're on. I hope Jay keeps bringing you back. Oh, thank you. Very informative. So, I was uh, shopping around the performance website looking at a remote oil filter uh, kit, and I run across some. They have great... uh, Say great things about their solution, which uses the toilet paper as their filter media. And then you can either use your own toilet paper or you can buy their special um, toilet, paper, toilet paper-based cartridge. You drop right, you know, pull the canister off and swap it out with a roll of toilet paper and uh, put it back in. Yes, I think uh, maybe I'm right that Gulf Coast filters might be the ones that make that. 
I think. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, a couple of months since I looked at it. And, yeah, and uh, that has... kind of triggered that. Hey, wait a minute! I remember this, and I wanted to bounce that off of you. Yeah, the the toilet paper roll filters. So, have... uh, is that you know? And their claims are that uh, they're. I, I, unfortunately, I don't have the specifications in front of me. I'm driving, listening to the show, but. Um, Yes, well, let me tell you about them. They're, uh, they've been around about, uh, oh, 50, 60 years, and uh, they work. Uh, if you use a filter, it's a bypass filter it's set up. It's not your full-flow filter. It's actually designed to be what they call a parasitic bypass filter, and they do work because the theory you got here is that for the oil to soak through all the layers that you've got in this roll of paper, that by the time it can work its way all the way through all of that media and come out the other side, it has left all of its trash and particles in the paper, okay? Now, here's the only thing you run into trouble with with the operation. These filters are uh, pretty good size, depending upon the application, and they hold quite a bit of oil, and the paper rolls in them, depending upon the application, uh, you may have to change them at uh, 5,000 mile intervals or even uh, the most, maybe up to 10,000 miles with a special roll of paper like they sell. And the deal about that is it sounds pretty innocuous until you compare them to some other bypass filters. The other bypass filters in the market, one's made by Amsoil. There's another one, FS2500, that's on the Internet you can read about. And what you end up with is that if you're going to run a good synthetic oil that you intend to run for extended drains, and Amsoil's done this for years with bypass filters, very extended drains, 100,000-mile oil changes, well, the Amsoil <coughs> bypass filter element, the one that we use, it's a spin-on filter. It's good for a, a normal car for about 50,000 miles, so you would change it twice in 100,000 miles. And you would use, if you were keeping your oil in the car all the time, you'd use about um, two quarts each time you changed it. So you'd change four quarts of oil in 100,000 miles. If you use one of these toilet paper media and had to change it every 5,000, that would be 20 times you would change it, and each time it would use about a gallon of oil. So you'd use 20 gallons of oil to go the 100,000 miles instead of, using four quarts or one gallon to go 100,000 miles. So you're going to get about the same efficiency, a micron rating of around 2.3, 2.5, with an efficiency rating, a beta rating of about 200, so somewhere around 99.5. So, yeah, they work. They're a little bit impractical for running what we call extended drains, but, these things actually were put on, believe it or not, they work pretty well as a, as what they call a parasitic filter system. On They got installed in a lot of old World War II Jeeps that you could buy a big crated Jeep and then put it together. But those Jeeps were never built with any filter. So these things were available and sold a lot of times to put on, as they call it, a secondary filtration system. So they had some filtration system on those World War II Jeeps. That's where they started from. But, yeah, I mean, it's the same theory. Layer after layer of thin paper, allowing the oil to seep through it, will eventually clean the oil out before it can get through all those layers of uh, paper on that roll. That answered up for you? 
Excellent. Yeah, a lot of insight and uh, something to, some, give me something more to think about on that. All right. So, folks, you're listening to Car Time Radio, and we're going to bring Mr. Jay Zimbauer in for a short segment, and uh, then I'll be back right after Jay finishes up. This is recorded, so stand by for Jay. Let's go to the phone line, see what we can start helping some folks out with here this evening. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Great. Thank you. How can we help you today? Well, I got a 2012 Jeep Wrangler, a two-door model. Okay. And I guess each cylinder spark plug has its own little coil pack that fires for each cylinder. Correct. We call it, the acronym for that is COP, coil on plug. Okay. Uh, well, for a 2012 vehicle, less than 20,000 miles, uh, I've had two of them fail so far, and I got another one that's, you know, intermittent. So they wow. fixed the first two under warranty. Sure. But I'm wondering, is there something synonymous with this particular year model vehicle? I mean, why are they failing so much? Good question. Absolutely. Well, here here is the simple answer. Uh, and I'm going to assume, and sometimes you know what that means, but let me just lay some predicate real quick. I'm going to assume you're not driving this thing like uh, through the swamp and in a lot of moisture or anything like that. I, I would I would suspect that's not happening, correct? Correct. Okay. I have not Good. been off-road with it in a long time. Good. Well, the reason I bring that up is because the, the coil unplug designation is very hypersensitive to moisture. So guys that get off-road and, and they get, you know, maybe they go hunting, maybe they go hiking, whatever they do, uh, high moisture will kill these coils quickly. They're very susceptible to moisture. But that said, we have seen in that late 2011 through 2012 many of the Chrysler Jeep products that have had premature coil failures. Now, everyone that we've seen that's had a premature failure, what we call early failure, those coils typically if the car is well-maintained and there's no adverse usage, they'll usually go, you know, 70, 80, 100,000 miles without a coil going bad. But these coils that we've seen go bad, we see the, the short circuit happen along the parting line of the coil, which is where it's molded together. This tells us that it's a poor manufacturing process. So I guess the, the long and short of it, I guess the, the, the layman's terms could be it's probably a result of a low bidder contract. Uh, in other words, Chrysler does not and Jeep does not build their own coils. They subcontract that to another company to supply that to okay. them. And when that short happens along the parting line, that's usually a quality issue. That's not something you did wrong. It's not something the way you used it or anything like that. So, I would stay on top of them and make sure you hold their feet to the fire. And I think the good thing is if you've had two of the coils replaced under warranty, you have set the baseline for a known problem. So, you know, when you get up into that, you know, 30, 40,000, maybe even 50,000 miles and you start having more of them go bad, I think the appropriate action on your behalf is point right back to the early failure and say, hey, guys, look. I've maintained my vehicle. These went bad early. These are going bad prematurely. We obviously have a problem. Please take care of it. That's what I would suggest. But rest assured, it's nothing you did wrong. Um, the problem we get into today, Chrysler knows about this problem. They're fully aware of it. But in today's time, with all the automotive recalls, 
they are very hesitant to issue recalls for some of these vehicles, and that's just unfortunate. Okay. Um, Do you know if the, the new replacement ones that they're using to replace the bad ones, are they manufactured better? Well, are they found correct to the problem? Here's, I honestly can't answer that, and, and here's why. We have replaced some of these coils for folks, and we've not had them come back. The part number is still the same part number that the original coil has, and the manufacturer has not released anything to say, oh, by the way, the new coil is a better coil. They've not released anything that I'm aware of that says that. So, yeah, and I wouldn't want to admit they had a problem. Well, and, and that's typical, but I, I will share with you my 40 years in, in this industry if they're not going to admit they have a problem, they typically are behind the scenes working with their subcontractor or another subcontractor to cure the problem so it doesn't continue because it just it's just like throwing fire on, or, or yeah fuel on the fire for a consumer. It just uh-huh. makes them very irate. So uh, my bet is they're probably making the change and they're not really telling anybody about it because. If they do admit they're making a change, then they admitted they had a faulty product to start with. Okay. So I'd say hang in there. Uh, Here's the good news. If you've got one that's intermittent now, there is on that vehicle as well as others, if the mechanic at the dealer knows his business, he can go into what's called Mode 6 Diagnostics. It's a very deep, buried portion of his testing routine. And that Mode 6 diagnostics will tell him which cylinder is intermittently misfiring, and that is the coil that would need to be replaced. So even if it's currently working, but three or four days ago is misfiring, it'll be in the history? That's correct. what we call Mode 6 misfire. The, the, The powertrain control computer is very smart. And what it does is, in that when that engine starts to misfire, it registers that in its memory banks, but it may not turn on the check engine light. So when you come into somebody like us who have technicians trained to look at that, and you tell us, hey, it's running great today, but three days ago, hey, it was running pretty bad, we automatically go to mode six, and it pulls up a algorithm of recordings, and it'll tell us how many times each cylinder misfired and how frequent that misfire occurred. That is the fingerprint in which allows us to make that diagnosis on an intermittent misfire problem. Unfortunately, not everybody's trained to the highest levels, and then the result the consumer gets is, hey, we drove your car, we checked it, we don't see anything wrong, it seems to be operating okay, we understand it's intermittent, bring it back when it gets worse or more frequent. Well then you're, you're spending a bunch of time running back and forth, car not running right, intermittently. So if they look at the Mode 6 uh, calculator, they should be able to well see which cylinder is misfiring. No question about it. Okay. Uh, one final question. Sure. Currently, the ones that have replaced have been under warranty. Right. Warranty will be running out. What kind of price would I expect to have to pay once I'm out of warranty if this problem continues? Sure. Well, Here's what you're up against. The first thing that has to happen is the technician or shop has to diagnose it. There's typically a fee associated with that. That can range anywhere from, say, $30 to $90, depending on the testing they're doing. 
Then you get to the parts and labor side. So the parts and labor side, you know, you buy a new coil pack, labor to put it on, you do the diagnostic testing, yeah, you could be talking 140 to $200 per coil pack. That's where it gets expensive. And you have, yeah. you have more than a few. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's the problem. Exactly. exactly right. So, you know, I would hold their feet to the fire. If those coils go bad within 60,000 miles, I'd darn sure be going back and, and having a conversation with customer service at Jeep and say, hey, look, you know, these went bad at 20,000. Now I've got more going bad. And, you know, I've talked to people in the industry that tell me, you know, they really should last, you know, into that 70, 80, 90, 100,000 mile range. You guys need to help me out here. That's the way I would handle it. Okay. All right, Mike. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate your help. Absolutely. We appreciate the call. Good information. Hope everybody gets some help out of that. Welcome back to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in today for Jay Zimbauer. And, hey, good news is Jay's going to be back next week answering all those automotive questions you guys have been saving up for him. I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks, and this makes the third week in a row talking about oil filters lubrication now tonight we talked about filtration and i just want to review for you quickly here that when you're looking for an oil filter don't be hoodwinked by the so-called nominal micron rating just throw that out okay if you hear an absolute rating you can listen to that that has some value but what you really want to know is what is the beta rating or the efficiency rating of that filter at a certain micron rating. For example, if it's a 20 micron absolute filter with a beta ratio of 100 or 200 or 75, they're going to convert that for you into an efficiency percentage. And what you're looking for is at least something greater than 90%, for goodness sake. And some of the better filters will be up there at what they call absolute, which is 98.7% is considered to be absolute. Obviously, it's not. One particle is still filtering through, but that's how the industry uh, reads it. You're also concerned with how long will this filter go? Is it going to be good for 4,000, 5,000, 7,500, 10,000, 15,000, 25,000 miles? What is the capacity, the storage capacity of the filter? That's important to know. And then you also care about how it's constructed. Is the canning thick enough and have a high enough burst pressure that it's not going to start leaking or leaking from the seams in the filter when you get to a certain pressure? Uh, does it have an internal bypass valve to protect your engine in case the filter becomes clogged? Um, what kind of filter medium is in it? You're looking for something that would be synthetic microglass. That would be the better filtration medium available today. So... Things to look for, things to understand. Also, sometimes filters are in strange orientations. And some of these newer filters, the filter is actually sitting on top of the engine in a vertical position. Well, you better have a good uh, anti-drain back valve in that filter or else it's going to drain down. And when you start your car up, every time you do, you're going to have to pump oil into that and fill it up before any oil goes to your camshaft bearings and lifters. And you don't want that. You want that filter to stay full and the oil to begin to flow on those vital components as soon as you start the engine up, not 30 seconds later. Okay, so now some additional information. 
if you want to find out about oil or filtration or any of these kind of things, uh, I have a website, which is thelubepage.com. It's easy, thelubepage.com. Also, if you go to YouTube and type in Dan Watson, you're going to find a channel with 70, 75 YouTube videos that are there that are about oil, filtration, fuel additives, these things that I talk about on the radio. And I have numerous people that visit those, and I get email questions all the time from those YouTube videos and from the website asking me different questions, and I can only assure you of one thing. I will answer your email if you send me a question. Sometimes it takes me three or four days because, hey, can be a lot of questions and I still have a business to run, but so far I've been able to keep up with them. So if you want to send those questions to me, if you go to my website, it'll tell you how you can do that. If you're on the YouTube video, it's going to tell you the website. You can go to the website there and uh, ask me your question. You'll get an answer. As I tell everybody that's associated looking at these things, hey, you're the only person that's going to really, really pay close attention to making sure that you get the right lubricants, the right filters, fuel additives, transmission fluid, whatever's required for your car. You're the one that will pay the price if it isn't the right stuff. So you have to be the one that uh, monitors and controls what people put in your car. And it's easy today. My gosh, this Internet makes it so that you can research and find out information on anything. And, uh, you know, there's other people than me on the uh, Internet that will provide information. At all costs, I can say to you, just go get the information. Don't just take somebody's word for it. Uh, There's not always really highly, highly trained technicians at every one of the quick loops, okay? Uh, there's always some good people there, but you have to be careful and make sure that qualified people are doing things to your car. So Jay Zambaro will be back next week, and uh, I'll be seeing you later, probably in a couple of weeks. So until then, just keep rolling. Wires are a little too long, your main prod spawner's nearly gone. The injector ports are stripped, and that ain't all.